Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. probably didn't have too much of a you know written plan out (laughs) fortunately it worked out what three wrestling matches would you watch if you were stranded on a desert island this is what i'm asking wrestling's best in the ring around the ring behind the scenes or behind a microphone i'm tom campbell thank you for joining me on cultaholic island for another episode of desert island graps Justice, how are you doing? I'm doing great, thank you, Tom. Nice to be here. It's an honour and a privilege for you to be here because the whole premise of this show for the last two years has been to find somebody to talk to about Postman Pat for the Spectrum. And we we have officially reached the whole point, so this is the last Desert Island Graps. (laughs) (laughs) Right, it's basically GTA, isn't it? Yes, it's the original Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> just Greendale Theft Auto, I guess you could call it. <laughs> it still works as GTA. It's Greendale Theft Absolutely. Auto. Better than it should have, because the Spectrum one I played later on, but I had the Amstrad version, which is, which is very similar. And it's just, and I saw you talk about it in an interview. I was like, right, brilliant. We can talk about this. It's a great game. Yes, you can just go around, just run, run cyclists over. <laughs> Is that one of your? What was one of the the first video games that really that really caught you? Because I know Post and Pat for the Spectrum was one of them. Were there other ones? Probably uh, one of the Dizzy games, I suppose. Probably a Treasure Island Dizzy, Fantasy World Dizzy. Certainly back in those days, it used to get a lot of Codemaster stuff because it used to be budget and available everywhere. So definitely all those, even bloody Monte Carlo Casino, and of course all the simulator games, the about two hundred million simulator games that Codemasters released. All absolutely brilliant, of course, as they said. Oh, <laughs> the Dizzy games, uh, they they were great as long as you were playing the proper, the, the playing through the narrative because it'd be like you'd have to beat this guy to get a key to open this door to get a, a thermos that you give to the dog who would in turn give you a, 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 another key that you'd <laughs> use to open a window. And if you didn't get it in that order, you just, you, you were buggered. And Oh yeah, you get lost and you forget where all your items are. Yeah, and you just forget where everything is and you've, and you've got to collect about... 20 diamonds or 40 coins or <laughs> as well these are all things that you've you've no doubt discussed at length but the one thing that i think we'd like to hear more of is is your love for wrestling and that is why we're here today kim we're going to uh, send you on to a metaphorical desert island and on that island you'll choose three wrestling matches to watch whilst you are stranded there what would you like your first match to be kim okay um well, the first match that I picked is actually um, a pro-res match. Um, Mitsuharu Misawa versus Jumbo Tsuruta from uh, June the 8th, 1990. <laughs> スーパースター。ジャンボツルタです。竹内さん、今後の全日本バットの方向性をも決定付ける大一番世代闘争ですね。まさに大きな山が来ましたね。そうですね。時代の全日本を背負っているだけの人材かどうか。タイガーマスク
have had a big love for quite a long time now of pro wrestling, Japanese pro um, since about the late 90s, early 2000s. And this match was one of the first one that I saw. And um, this is very well match. I mean, obviously you have two incredible technical competitors, of course. But um, I really managed to, from this match, like, get like, the feel of Japanese wrestling and have, get into like, the way like, the crowds reacted to it how it just gradually becomes so unglued, like especially this match, like when later on I got the context of it, it just kind of became even better. Um, it's like you kind of have missiles, like quite a young wrestler at that time coming up against a man who was basically like wrestling God in all Japan, in Jumbo Tsuta. And usually in Japanese wrestling, like it takes years for someone like Misawa to pin someone like Jumbo Tsuta. But um, just on that one night, like uh, Giant Baba, the booker owner, looked at the crowd and thought, right, the time is right. We've just got to do this now. Um, the crowd were just so fought Misawa. And they put on this incredible match, which is like Jumbo Tsuta being quite a bully and really like dismissive of like, this young pup, like just trying to muscle in on his territory. And so he, he gradually gets more and more heelish throughout the match, which is always quite wonderful to see from someone who was always a fan favourite, huge fan favourite. And like they even start booing him near the end because he's really beating up on Misawa. And then the ending, when Misawa manages to like reverse a pin and pins Jumbo Tsuta, is one of the most in, massive reactions I've heard from a crowd just... And that so just you get so into this story of the match and all that then came after as they ended up feuding for years, like sort of old guard versus new guard. Just like the making of Misawa, who for me is just one of the most wonderful, brilliant wrestlers in every regard, was this match and this one glorious night. What I love about about matches like that is that you can tell by the way that, that you're talking about it, like how animated you become with it. Like this is a match that really really set the set the stage for you as a as a fan of the Japanese wrestling world so when do you remember when do you remember watching this for the first time where did you watch this for the first time rather it's funny because um back in the days so this was like pre-youtube it's like I mean I've been a wrestling fan since I was a kid like watching WWF and so on but um it's back in when I finally got access to, like the internet in the late 90s and going to like websites like uh, the revolution.net was when you start hearing about Japanese wrestling, you kind of hear the names. I think when you're that age, when you're like a teenager, like the moves were probably like the thin descriptions of the moves became a thing that you get really excited about. It's like, oh, super fisherman buster. What, what on earth is that? It's like they describe moves where someone just gets dropped on their head. It's like, oh, cool. Awesome. Where do I watch this? And it's like, well, it's not on television. Eventually, when I got a cable modem, I would go to a Kazar, the older P2P app, and you just search like full match and in the hope that you'd find something and every so often you find something it's like oh wow wow i've just found probably the first ever pro res match i saw was probably it was probably one involving jushin liger might actually been a jushin liger versus owen hart oh spicy like that night night yeah really cool match worth checking out yeah sort of owen hart on the brief little excursion to New Japan. So yeah, obviously you find a lot of stuff stuff, but then eventually I managed to find like Misawa, Kenta Kabashi, Toshiaki Kawada. And yeah, I certainly found that match around that time and it's one of those that's always stuck with me over the years as just a great it's it's one of the things that's universal about wrestling, because even if it's Japan and obviously you don't necessarily understand if this is the commentary and so on, and all those things, the story is just utterly universal in this match. It's funny how you mentioned um, Kazar then, because I was um, with you there. Because like Kazar, Napster, I remember when all that stuff, when those, when those pieces of software came out, and how all of a sudden it's like you can download music, and it was it was mind blowing, it wasn't it for 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 a certain generation? It was mind blowing to be able to do that. Like what? I could download a whole album. And of course, the hilarious thing is that we did. I mean, well, I didn't hear about it until obviously Metallica sued them. So. You know, your classic and effect. Do you remember like Money Good, Napster Bad, like the whole Flash animation and all of that was from back in those days. And yeah, it's like, oh, wow. So there's this Napster. I can download all the music I want. I don't have to pay for it. Oh, it's 
It's amazing. Thanks, Metallica. I didn't know about this before. Yeah, cheers. I can now download your songs. <laughs> <laughs> and with, with with this particular, you've mentioned there a few of the uh, a few of the spots from the match that you love between MSR and Jumbo. Is there one in particular, one particular moment in this match that, as a fan, like maybe gets the goosebumps up on the arm or, or something that really gets you into the match? Yeah. Um, well, there's one definitely right near the end that really always sticks out for me. Jumbo just seems to be getting ever more desperate, and he t- takes quite a nasty bump. He he literally flings himself at Missile with a drop kick, and ends up in the ropes, just bouncing all over the place off the ropes, like knocks him for six. And it's just that moment when the crowd just seem to n- realize like what's about to happen, and. Just, of course, of course, you have all like the... I mean, anything that Jumbo did, especially, was incredible. Like, right down to like the double-arm suplex he used to do, which is just one of the most beautiful-looking moves ever. Just the, the knee lift and then the big, you know, pump fist. Oh! And all of that just... He would do all these... Even like, just the little things which Jumbo's just amazing. And and um, this was still back... Um, I mean, because again, another thing about this match, this was like a few days after, because Misawa, just a few days before the match, was still Tiger Mask. Um, so he he unmasked and revealed himself as Misawa a few days in a tag team match before. So he was he was like he was just coming back from a foreign ex- like it's he's been away for a couple of years. He did foreign excursion, came back to Tiger Mask. Now he's back, and all of a sudden he's pinning Jumbo, and um, so he's still doing very athletic things during the match, like doing his like fake um, fake suicide dive, and so on. Where he just like quickly do the somersault of ropes and then catch you with the drop kick just all the lovely little things and kind of having that very stoic attitude as well that he always used to have still so yeah but that drop kick especially is just like (gasps) one of those wowser moments even like 30 years later when did you become a wrestling fan geez i've been a wrestling fan i think as long as i can remember i think it must have been because we got um sky like early 90s so we're probably talking about 1991 ish watching um wwf uh prime time wrestling or superstars or whatever wrestling challenge and I, it was one of those things where as soon as i saw it for the first time i was hooked um watching um obviously hogan warrior was like big favorite then it was the undertaker for many years i became big undertaker mark when i was a child um, and again like things like the 92 royal rumble even shows that are kind of generally considered well, actually, not necessarily bad. Bad main event, like WrestleMania 8. I remember watching like WrestleMania 8 on a tiny little telly, um, which has its moments, of course. Hogan, um, Bret Hart versus Waddy Piper, great match. Um, Savage versus Flair. And then the main event, which is one of the worst matches I've ever seen. But <laughs> <laughs> Hogan Sid Justice, yeah. Featuring a very, 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 very late run-in by Papa Shanko. Some people say he's still heading to the ring to this very day. Shit, shit, shit. <laughs> it's like it's like when you watch it back and you're and I, when I, when we, I talked about it recently with somebody and they mentioned the Papa Shango running and how quickly he comes out it's like if you watch it it's like Vince just pushes him out the, through the curtain just go now like you watch he kind of falls out and looks around like like a cat that's been dropped into a living room like whoa oh okay we'll go in this way it's absolutely oh it's it's a moment in time it's a moment in time it was Sky Television it was same with yourself like because when we got Sky in our house it was a big deal like that was a game changer all of a sudden like you got a million channels and and the the much lauded the wrestling was on one of them because that was how i ended up falling in love with it as well was when it came on on sky um can you remember the first wrestler that you really gravitated to was it the undertaker did you say definitely the undertaker yeah just the whole dead man gimmick just the way it just felt very different from most pretty much anything else that was on the program and just the tombstone you know look out tombstone city just and smash his head into the mat yeah undertaker was my favorite did you have a lot of friends around you that were wrestling fans as well yeah yeah a few of us were wrestling fans i um god yeah we we kind of stuck as wrestling fans throughout our childhood and teenage years really we even had um this is quite cringy stuff but um, you had a wrestling promotion didn't you yeah we did you did yeah yeah i i am i am a well at least a couple of times backyarder 
Not that I really did anything. Normally, I just lay in the ring and just would just like uh, less mobile than 1993 Andre the Giant, basically. But <laughs> um, but yeah, and we used to have a, a fanzine which um, we sold in a local shop called Time Tunnel, which I think was pretty much well. I didn't write it, but I think it was just articles that were copy pasted from WWF magazine. To be honest, <laughs> I can't even remember what it was called now. And you, and the thing is, I know that um, one of our shows, one of our well, I say show, it was we didn't have an audience. It was just us in our back garden. Because if we went in the park and did it, we'd just get laughed at by the older kids. Um, one of our shows, at least, was taped. So some somewhere in one of my old school friends' collection, maybe, there's a tape of this. So I would like to see it again and also not like to see it again, if that makes any sense. <laughs> no, I get it. I get it. It's it's something of great pride and great and great concern at the same time. Did you have a character that you used during this? Literally, we were just... We were just taking characters from the from the WWF. It's like, oh, you're Steve Austin. Oh, I'm Bret Hart. I'm Shawn Michaels. I was just be a taker, obviously. <laughs> taker, but you know, considerably less athletic. Did you guys have a belt as well? I have to ask if there was a championship involved. Yes, yes, we had a crappy cardboard belt with <laughs> just handle scribbles all over it, just like a little scribble, like trying to look like the Wind Eagle, not quite making it. Probably worth a probably worth a bit of money these days. I don't know if it still exists. It's worth at least fifty p. I reckon one of your one of your mates has got in a box somewhere in a garage, like the the official tape of the show, along with the belt, which I think is is begging for a WWE Network release. I really hope so. I really do hope so. Uh, what, obviously, your other passion is the world of video games and uh, a massive player of like the Spectrum and and such like that. Can you remember the first time you played a wrestling video game when the streams crossed? You remember the first time <laughs> when the streams crossed? It's gonna. Ha- it, it was WrestleFest <laughs> in the arcade. Definitely, um, as far as arcade games go, it's still one of my absolute favourite arcades. Ca- just really captures that time period, you know, when you play it, and it's not a bad game to play either. It's not, no, and it's probably one of the better wrestling games that came out of that era because it was <laughs> around then that you had like WrestleMania Challenge and WrestleMania Steel Cage Challenge, and it was um, it was put together by <laughs> LJN who have a, a, a mm. bit of a, a, a checkered history. To say the least. <laughs> in the world, Kim's eyes just bugged out as I said that. So that says everything. <laughs> what was wrong with LJN? Why were they a bit crap sometimes? Well, because oh, it was just, well, LJN was a brand mainly. They mainly focused on toys. So their games, they just used to ship out these licensed products to whoever was charging the least i suppose um so yeah you would just get these terrible games based on friday the 13th x-men or oh, x-men's the worst one x-men is virtually unplayable so there's some games that sometimes have not too bad ideas but just could be executed better like jaws i suppose is like it's not too bad it's just very simple nightmare on elm street is, is okay there's maximum carnage that's good <laughs> that's the only one it's more a case of i think with with l with ljn it's because they were a, a, a toy company like it's that idea that video games are seen as merch rather than like pieces of work in their own right and i guess it's part of that and ultimately they were a failing toy company in the end so yeah that didn't help either so they every they got the point you know reverse midas touch in the end so i imagine if ljn had been around during the wii era they would have made quite a bit of money just just the shovelware for Wii is something phenomenal. Can you imagine? Christ. You I can imagine <laughs> just the the licensing the licensed guff that would come out from them would be quite bizarre. I mean it's like move move over Pippa Funnel, take the reins or whatever. <laughs> you know, here's come dine with me, the video game, <gasps> I don't know. I'm not gonna like him. I think I'd play the shit out of Come Die With Me, the game. <laughs> yeah, well, once I was saying this thing, actually, you know, there's something in that. Especially if they've got, you know, the sarcastic narrator. They do it like Heavy Rain, whereas, like, I've had a lovely evening, Doubt. <laughs> Come Die With Me, the game, directed by David Cage. A Hideo Kojima game. <laughs> that just me? Yes. Sneaking around the kitchen trying to find out what's for pudding. <laughs> Right, we've got to start giving people ideas. Um, I want to. I want to go into. Uh, I want to talk more about games with you. Uh, you know, we, we, we're ticking the wrestling box, but I'm. 
you know, selfishly keen to chat to Kim Dresses about video games. Uh, uh, but we'll get into your second match before we do. Uh, what would you like your second match to be, Kim? So my second match, um, obviously a, a classic, one that pretty much everyone loves, uh, Brett versus Austin, WrestleMania 13 has to be there. Imagine, for over a decade, you fought to reach the pinnacle of your profession. Through sweat and dedication, you've earned the respect of fans, friends, and even your adversaries. Then, you walk away. When you return six months later, nothing is the same. I've been screwed by Shawn Michaels, the boy toy. I've been screwed by Stone Cold Steve Austin. I've been screwed by the World Wrestling Federation. There are no friends. There's kind of a new motto in the World Wrestling Federation. You scratch my back and I'll stab yours. There is no respect. Everybody in that dressing room knows that I'm the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. Even your fans have changed. At the heart of this change is a man who spits in the face of your every accomplishment. Ever since you came back, you ain't done nothing but cry. He has gained fame by attacking you physically and verbally. Steve Austin has absolutely become obsessed with Bret Hart. Steve Austin is a rabbit. He's a rabbit animal. This man mocks your legacy. He uses it as a stepping stone. Like a false prophet, he spews forth his rhetoric. Bret Hart on his best day can't lace my boots, and I'm gonna prove that to the world. And I will, I will beat the hell out of Bret, and that's the bottom line. His followers carry placards singing his praise. Injustice after injustice has finally caused you to snap. Whoa! Frustrated isn't the word for it. This is Now, the finger is pointed at you. You're the one who's changed. He snapped, McMahon! He's lost it! Get him out of here! Drag him! Oh, just him! Hall of Famer, Pax Patterson! That dirty, rotten son of a... They say your ego is your enemy. What happened to you? There's only one solution. To awaken from this nightmare, you must defeat him. To regain your life and resume your legacy, you must make him beg for mercy as you squeeze the will from his bones. But what if Stone Cold Steve Austin wins? What becomes a Bret the Hitman heart then? Well, I suppose the thing with Bret is that the whiny part of his character was kind of something that was always there. It was always there, but then it just amps up as soon as he comes, like pretty much as soon as he comes back, because he has his like brief hiatus, doesn't he, after the Iron Man match. And but when he comes back, he's really amping up like this whiner, essentially. Like I just remember when like Shawn Michaels, he's been interviewed and Shawn Michaels like cuts the interview off like with his entrance, like it's my time, it's it's my interview. <laughs> just, <laughs> Why is, he, why is Shawn Michaels coming out just getting so pissed off? And and it all just <laughs> culminates in that match with Austin, which is just because Austin was like still technically a heel, obviously, before the match. But just the storytelling in this match, and just again, all it's all the little things like those guys do, isn't it, as well? That you know, you don't necessarily see like the first time you watch it, but just on repeat viewings, you notice more and more and more. So just build up and just the way that they're both like Bret Hart, just as a like seller of moves, is just just always just like these little things. Like every time that like, he like I just realized like someone just pointed out every time that like, he got the stunner hit on him, he literally just sells it like he's broken his jaw. He he definitely really goes like just for making it look like as legit a contest as possible. And again, just the ending to that match, I think as well, was just one of the most emotional sites it's just like holy shit you know austin's just you know covered in blood that that visual the close-up on him is just one of those things that just sticks in your mind it's uh it's a whole that whole match and like you said you talk about it there the story that they tell throughout in the build-up to it and it's kind of bret hart becoming the 90s version of sort of old man yells at cloud because <laughs> yeah. the world is changing around him and he's like well i'm a good guy he's blatantly a bad guy he's being a dick and austin's like i'm being a dick <laughs> yay we like you no and bret just yes, is so so out on a limb with everything so then and then in that match and again you as you said 
say rightly there, it's all in the little things. Like Brett is so good at the minutia, and he doesn't he doesn't crank up the heelness. He just slowly sort of keeps it simmering, mm. just pushes it a tiny bit, a tiny bit, a tiny bit, totally. and then by the end, it just like it's 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 doubtless to the point where you actually forget that the last scene in that match, one of the last scenes in that match was was obviously Austin being carried out, but also Ken Shamrock suplexing Bret Hart. It was a it's a little bit yeah. in that match that's been forgotten <laughs> about because everything else was so good. But like at the, I think they were hoping that would be a little <laughs> springboard. Is yeah, they thought it'd be like a little springboard for Ken, yeah. and Ken kind of got forgotten that he was in that match at all. Yeah, it was kind of maybe they were trying to go for like yeah, Ken Shamrock gets a feud with Bret Hart or something, but they didn't end up doing that till like later. I don't know. If, mm. I mean, things were chaotic at that time. Generally, if you go back to like observers and that, you just look. It's like, oh well, this person's left. This person's injured. So Shamrock kind of gets Shamrock, Shamrock kind of got forgotten about until a couple months later when another match that I absolutely loved didn't quite get the top three. He has his match proper like debut against Vader. Oh, yeah, cold day in hell. One of the stiffest matches I think that's ever occurred in the WWE. And they just take lumps out of each other. Wonderful match. One moment in that match, especially again near the end, where Shamrock's really going at him in the corner with like knees going at Vader, um, knees shots, and Vader just launched like one of his Vader hammers, just like this meat hook, just comes on, just whack, <laughs> just see, he's just see, it. and like, Jim was just like, God, green, <laughs> just, just like the crowd just like, oh, fucking. <laughs> Just stiff as stiff as a board, stiff as a board. Not in that sense, but stiff as a board. Just clatters him. Where did you watch WrestleMania 13? Oh, this was at home. Yeah, I wasn't really, you know, doing the handing out with. Well, doing that, watching those shows with friends. But yeah, it was at home. I'd, I'd, I'd stay up to watch the shows back in the back in the glorious days. Obviously, when they were still free, you could you could just watch them for nothing back in those days on Sky, which was great. That you just had to stay up till like one a.m. and then they started charging the for them because they're. I remember. Monsters. I remember the oh god. <laughs> speak well when it comes to like bad shows. I remember the first one that I stayed up for, of all things, WrestleMania nine. Oh mate, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, I stayed up. It's like on at midnight, and I like, managed to convince like, oh, let me stay up. I will not WrestleMania. And then like, oh yeah, yeah. And then it ended up being that. I remember even at the time being confused, like, why has Hulk Hogan come out? Why, why is he now facing Yokozuna? Why has he won the title? Yokozuna just won it. That's not fair. <laughs> it was a pre-money in the bank cash-in from Hulk Hogan, the time where we absolutely did not want it, ever. <laughs> and Hulk Hogan had that weird look. He had that black eye and everything. It didn't even look like Hulk Hogan. He was thinner as well because they'd had all that issue with the steroid trial. So he like slimmed right down. It's like a cruiserweight. As I was going to say about the WrestleMania eight as well. When um, it's funny how people always say like when Ultimate Warrior comes out, it, it looks like it looks like it's Kerry Von Erich, Texas Tornado. I remember thinking that at the time. I remember, I distinctly remember thinking, oh, it's Texas Tornado. And then when you French curse, I was, oh, no, hang on. Oh, no, it's Ultimate Warrior. <laughs> because that was where the rumour yeah. started that Ultimate Warrior had died. Because this yes. guy had come out and he wasn't as bi- he wasn't as buff as Warrior was and his hair was different, so therefore it wasn't different. But even then, you thought it was Kerry Von Erich. So it was. you can see where the rumours started on that one, can't you? I totally... He does look but, like so different. Before we move on from um, Austin versus Hart, just out of interest as a fan watching it, were you on the on the Hart side of things or on the Steve Austin side of things at this point? Um, oh, I moved over to Austin pretty quickly. Once, like, especially yeah. once the Attitude Era kicked in, he kind of became my new favourite, really. And uh, that was just—it was—it was such a good time. I mean, I to be honest, I enjoyed it at the time. That you know, the interest that I had in wrestling which was kind of more nerdy i guess back when i was a few years poor i i kind of enjoyed it that people and then now everyone was suddenly going around doing crotch chops and telling everyone to suck it i i i enjoyed that it became more mainstream when you can you know it's like oh wow i can actually it's like well i can actually talk about wrestling with more people and not you know be like not you know it'd be like oh you it sounds like you had quite a few run-ins that were very similar to the run-ins that I had when I was at school as a wrestling fan, mm. where there is a sect of people who kind of take, for the lack of a better term, take the piss because you watch wrestling. Well, yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. We all, we, we all know that sort of stuff, you know. 
you know, you like mm. watching, you know, men in spandex or whatever. <laughs> Perfectly it, reasonable. It comes, it comes with the territory, doesn't it? It does. Uh, but it was nice during that attitude era where suddenly, it, like you say, they were. It was cool again, and yeah, it became you, cool. You could fly the flag right. a little bit higher this time, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. And a lot of people will, will probably be here uh, from, uh, from who follow you with the, the video game stuff as well. And, and where did the, the idea come from for you to, to step into the world of YouTube? Where did that begin? So step into YouTube properly and start doing like video reviews. I, I always used to like gabbing about games on that like message boards um, back in the day when those were more of a thing. Um, and it was like 2012 and I was doing um, a degree in a film production. And I just finished the first year and you got kind of long summer break. And I kind of thought, well, I want to try and learn, keep practicing the skills that I've learned. I've started to learn. So I started the YouTube channel, started a Kimball Justice, as it was then, just for the purpose of just, you know, talking about games. I thought I'd like to talk about some like Sega games, some Spectrum games. Because back in 2012, there wasn't as much of that. It was um, mostly quite a lot of the stuff was like, people um, trying to copy the angry video game nerd, like talking about crappy NES games and, you know, using their own rubbish compound swear words. So I wanted to do videos that were more positive and more about games that I enjoyed. Um, so, yeah, I started and it just kind of gradually went from there and it sort of it's evolved over the years. Um, obviously it's from just starting doing reviews to now doing like more like documentary type stuff which is what I've been doing for the past nearly five years now I've been kind of doing more that type of video like long form essays company histories making ofs and all of that where you say that the YouTube channel started as a way of sort of keeping your your skills uh tightened taut uh and calloused for when uh, the when you're during downtime what would the what was the plan going to be then had the youtube thing not kicked off well my plan was eventually my plan gravitated more towards going into teaching which i did do where i i wanted to i did like teaching support for a little while before i eventually making the decision to go into youtube full time and so i kind of had the purpose then eventually to like go into like teaching like media while also eventually like doing other work on the side, which kind of what a lot of the other people who were on the course, like teaching the course did. Um, so that was kind of the idea. But then as that kind of gradually ebbed away for various reasons and the YouTube channel started taking off more and more, I thought, okay, maybe I can actually do this. <laughs> and so 2016 was when I made the decision to go full time with youtube what do you think led to like the other stuff as you say sort of ebbing away because it seemed like you're quite you seem quite keen on becoming a teacher and it just seems i'm curious as to what made it fall away it wasn't so much um it was more just politics bullshit and so on just the way my job um 
the way my job was was basically I was teaching I was class to support and because of that it's like oh you won't get funding to do like a teaching qualification and it's like well I kind of need funding otherwise I don't have enough money it's like well tough shit and so it you, you know you get into a position where you know like the job you're in that there's not much room for improvement so it's like well this this ain't working <laughs> so I've got to move on yeah so I made a drastic decision <laughs> When did you reach that final conclusion to go, I'm going to throw myself into this full time? Can you remember the moment you you decided that? Yeah, it was about the turn of 2016, about the start of that year. I thought, okay, this is going to be my last year doing this. I'm going to, I'll leave at the end of the year. And yeah, we'll, we'll see how it goes from there. We'll give it, we'll give it a few months, you know, see what happens. If it's going to work out, it works out. If it doesn't, you know, I'll go look for something else. And fortunately, because I probably didn't have too much of a, you know, written plan out. Fortunately, it worked out. Just kind of, you know, stumble into it. What was the appeal of going into into teaching? I just really have. I just really had because I, you know, I was like to get quite passionate about subject matters and so on, and end up rambling on about it all. Like, I just thought, um, yeah, I thought, why not? Let's let's go do this. Let's, uh, you know. Always, I think a lot of people, always when you know other teachers always kind of come into teaching, I guess, with that idea, you know, we've got bright ideas that, you know, we're going to do this, we're going to teach this way and that. And a lot of the times those ideas then get gradually beaten down by all the various bureaucracy that's often involved with teaching. Unfortunately, there's a lot of shit you have to do behind the scenes. You know, you don't just teach anymore. You have to, you know, do various other administrative business things, write endless lesson plans and cater to whatever demands the senior leadership has which uh yeah gets frustrating would you say that the documentary stuff that you put out is almost a way of scratching that teaching itch yeah i suppose i suppose yeah when you look at it that way yeah i guess it is like trying to be you know in informative a lot of the time while, while also obviously you know being entertaining with it but yeah, I, I suppose, yeah. I've never thought about it too much that way, but um, yeah, I think you might be a bit right about that. When you got started full-time, so it's sort of day one, and this is like right from now on, this is this is the full-time dream. Um, what are some of the um, what are some of the, the, the favourite moments from that first six months? What were some of the moments where you sort of doubted the decision you'd made? Were there any? Um, oh God, I think it was touch and go, probably not even for six months, for longer than that, really for a good year or so <laughs> just kind of gradually you know just putting stuff out there i think eventually getting more into as i've gone full-time getting more into like a community of people was the thing that helped solidify my decision to actually not just be um in my own youtube bubble to actually have the time to like go to like conventions expos to um meet a lot of other people in the uk scene who become firm friends with Having that and feeling like much, you know, really big part, feeling like the love from that community was the thing that made me think, right, okay, I de this de this is definitely the right decision that I've made. More so than obviously, I think definitely that made last more than uh, videos just generally, you know, coming out and being successful and all that sort of thing. When you were getting into it, um, who were some of the people on YouTube that you looked up to? Because I know, as you say, that the the climate at that point was very much angry gamers making up swear words and all that stuff. And you were keen mm. to be a positive change. But was there anybody that was sort of doing that that you aspired to? I always liked, um, there were guys, um, still do stuff these days, guys called Consylvania, quite big wrestling fans in their own right, as it happens. And they always used to do, um, they did their own internet show back in the mid 2000s they've got on bbc for a bit called video guiden and they were always very passionate about games um got me into like various games over the years games like Gitteru man um ico things like that that um weren't necessarily like popular at the time and the way they always used to talk about games even whether they loved the game or didn't like the game was always incredibly passionate and so that was always something that really pull me towards it plus um old magazines from back in the day were quite helpful times things like amiga power was quite a big influence on me because again they would always tell it like it is in their reviews and with you could tell like the love of games more than anything even if you know sometimes developers got quite pissed off with them 
for <laughs> rating games too harshly. That happened a lot, but you can tell that they loved games, whereas with other, some other magazines, you know, it's clear that they were more in it for exclusives and money. There's yeah, I I seem to remember like there was a, a when the Nintendo the Nintendo sixty four came out, there was and the PlayStation was out when the Nintendo sixty four magazine changed. There was like an editorial change at the Nintendo magazine, and there was still that passion there. But I seem to remember a lot of the language became bashing the PlayStation calling it the grey mm. station at every opportunity they got. And it just kind oh, of, really? I remember as a fan, I remember as somebody who was both, I like the N64 and I like the PlayStation, reading the N64 mm-hmm. magazine suddenly became very tribal and it took away some of that enjoyment for me. And, mm. but the past, do you, do you remember that as a thing? Because I certainly do. I mean, I, I, was, I was a PlayStation kid, so I did, never had mm. the N64 magazine. Um, but the, fu- the funny thing is I don't necessarily remember the PlayStation magazines I read, at least like the official one and so on, bagging on the N64 too much, which uh, might be an indicator of, you know, eventually, you know, the one that's on top. I hate to say it, <laughs> yeah. sorry, N64 fans in terms of sales. <laughs> um, the one that's on top doesn't necessarily need to bag on the people below them. No, not at all. Although obviously in the N64's defence, being a PlayStation kid wasn't particularly good for wrestling games. Being an N64 kid was, obviously. PlayStation, we were stuck with WWF Attitude. Oh, there was. I mean, Attitude was actually was pretty uh, bad. Um... I played it so much just because there was nothing else around. Until SmackDown, there was nothing, really. Um, um, well, at least in the West, anyway. There's other stuff east-wise, but um, yeah, in the West, it was like, well, I think you had like one of, you had like WCW versus the world, which is okay, Power Move Pro Wrestling. You ever play that one? With uh, Kin Og and The Judge, Malibu <laughs> Mike, and just all these guys. It's actually, it's a good wrestling game. Um, it's based off um, an original like New Japan game. So it's good. But um, yeah, the characters were kind of silly. But yeah, the WWF games were just garbage. I mean, the only reason why I played Attitude for so long is because there was nothing else around. Because you just look at WCW and WWE Revenge, which I think was the one that was out then, and you just look at it with just like jealous, <laughs> very jealous. It's clearly so oh. much better. <laughs> the fact that all these years on, uh, with all these games that have come and gone, people still cover WWF No Mercy. That says a lot. It does say so much about what a lasting game is when it comes to um videos that you've done over your time is, is there one in particular and it, it's it, some people struggle to answer this question but i think it's nice to be proud of your work is there one that you've done which you're particularly proud of i'd say one that i'm particularly quite proud of is a uh, the series that i did on peter molyneux i did a four-part series of videos all about peter molyneux so i'd say that's pretty high up there but also probably I did a very long video about Sensible Software. The guys who obviously made Sensible Soccer and Cannon Fodder, various other classic games, really inspirational 90s developers. And the great thing about that one that was different was actually going to um, a lot of it is just me interviewing John Hare and actually going out to like his home and um, being shown all sorts of different stuff and just having him take take me through his career and just you know being able to do that and make that part of the video was like really like felt good to do that i mean i definitely want to do um more stuff like that in the future obviously it's been difficult over the past 18 months to get anything like that going but um yeah that was a very satisfying project indeed <laughs> yeah that beefy deep dive into two into sensible software that two hours plus uh you can you can hear the love for it and, it and how did that come about then you getting to go around john's house and see all of the stuff there how did that start uh well john Hare's a regular at a lot on like the retro convention circuit he's often at a lot of them whether he's whether he's talking or sometimes even just there as a fan um so yeah we were chatting and um and in fact i think it was he who brought up the idea first he said oh we should um we should do something we should uh you know you should come around and you know do like this video and so yeah it kind of gradually fell into place that kind of fermented for a few months eventually you know i get something written and yeah like I, we make yeah we make a date so to speak and uh, yeah, so it was actually his idea. Really. When you start doing these these colossal deep dive videos into into stuff like Sensible or Ocean or, or Team Seventeen, when, what's the process for you then? Because you write, produce, edit the whole nine yards. Mm. Where does the whole journey begin? Yeah. 
whole journey begins sometimes it's just a little spark like you just think i mean like the time is right so it's been like sometimes you have like sparks like oh i really should do a video on like say a recent one that i've done uh on a jurassic park trespasser like quite um maligned but also influential game i've had i've wanted to do a proper video about that for years because it's such a unique title in many ways and again just the time comes along when you think okay i want i want to do this now a lot of things just kind of happen almost like in my head i'm not necessarily one who's the most organized who writes a lot of notes down so to speak obviously i write a script in the end but um it all kind of tend with me it all just kind of tends to happen on the fly it's like suddenly the idea comes and if it's something like trespasser sometimes it comes quite easily like you do the research you you have a look at all the different things you play the game obviously and it just slowly sort of comes together and if i can like kind of build it into something that's also telling a story as opposed to just generically listing facts and dates you know even better it's nice to be able to put that sort of angle on it when that's kind of the way i've approached anything whether it's a video about games or wrestling or 90s tv show or anything like that really with with the the documentaries and stuff i know you've 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 tweeted out that you've got a dr death steve williams one it's out today it's out in the day that we're recording <laughs> excellent well that's well that's that's my afternoon sorted thank you very much uh any other ones that you're that you're working on well, games-wise, I've got a few. I'm um, slowly working on a Civilization 2. There's a Metal Gear Solid at some point. God, that's going to be a big one. <laughs> there's a there's a couple of others that I've got ideas for. On the wrestling side, because um, a lot of the stuff that I tend to do when I do wrestling documentaries on Patreon um, tends to be like classic All Japan. A lot of the time, that's definitely one thing that's quite big for me, like the whole Kins Road style. Um, I think it's coming to almost to the time when I'm thinking about Misawa Karada, which is oh, yeah, yeah probably like the, as big a project as you can get for that company. So I'm I'm starting. It's like it's like I've skirt. It's like I've done various videos where I've skirted around it. It's like I've done obviously I've done I did Misawa in Noah. I've done Kabashi's Rain. We'll get to those in a minute. But um, I've done like the the switch, with the split and all stuff like that vader so it's like it's skirting around to get into misara karada that's um probably the biggest one at the moment i'm is fermenting in my head and it's a good excuse to watch all those matches again in the last year despite everything's going on like it's been a great year to be a content creator uh, removing all the human element from it, because now you've got, in, in in every sense of the word, a captive audience. Have you have you felt that as well? <laughs> oh, definitely, yeah. Because um, I mean, I've, over the past year, I've really started doing that, working on like Twitch as well, doing live streaming. So yeah, again, it's like another different thing. It's like a different side from like the documentary side, because documentary sort of kind of well, not necessarily prim and pop, but obviously presented in a certain way. And then you get like the live me, which is you know sweary and plays shit games often and so on and often ends up raving a bit when things go bad um so yeah it's kind of a different side but that's kind of ended up working out as well which i think has been one of the general cool things if there are any cool things about this whole situation i've seen a lot of people uh really dead like finding finding themselves finding another angle on twitch on places like that and um like finding something new there especially when they're folks who um i know like quite a few comedians like guys like um if i would give shouts to like certain people john robertson Robertson, another huge wrestling fan as well big shouts to him um zaffa cakes who does like his hot pepsi pro evolution streams like these are guys who are, like comedians and obviously did lots of live gigs and then when those obviously there's no live gigs for however long they go to twitch and they start you know doing really freaking well then producing amazing content every day almost so that's i think that's one of the few good things about this whole situation has been seeing people 
come out of their shell, so to speak, in that way. A lot more people starting YouTube channels and podcasts and Twitch streams. As a content creator, is it something that you're aware of and or maybe not maybe concerned about, or is it a case of there's room for everybody? Oh no, no concern at all. Never never that that sort of thought never crossed my mind. I don't I don't like to see this whole thing as a competition. That's like I I, I always find when people do see it as too much of a competition i mean obviously you have um you have like almost like a very friendly rivalry maybe with people like say i don't know let's say nostalgia nerd. let's take nostalgia nerd as a comparison point obviously because we cover quite similar things um so there'll always be you know oh, what you're working on oh that's you know that's gonna be good you know and that but it's always very friendly and you know the guy the dude's you know friend of mine cool dude whereas you know people who tend to see it as too much of a competition you know you kind of tell and eventually it kind of ends up leading they end up going to like more of the dark side and doing shit that you don't know is not necessarily agreeable i always find have you come across any challenges in the last sort of 12 months with youtube because i know a lot of there's a lot of content creators who uh whilst they're glad of the platform get frustrated with sometimes their their ability to move the goalposts a little bit and change things how what have been some of your unique challenges that you face with youtube yeah youtube can be incredibly frustrating i mean it really can i mean especially like when it comes because i mean i'm quite i'm very diverse in the amount of stuff that i produce like the range range the range of stuff i produce <laughs> um roticism sorry um in that i have like documentaries but i also have the live streams i have like the wrestling fins i have all these different fins and combining all that into one channel can be very hard so the thing with youtube is that the moment you tend to do something that's different from your norm you get pushed down quite hard like it's like oh it's not being promoted in the slightest and that's just it's it can be very frustrating and youtube always loves to tell you how shit your video is doing in explicit detail which is always lovely it's like oh less fewer viewer fewer of your subscribers clicked on this video it's like oh, thanks fuck you um <laughs> it's yeah, like because I mean, you're hiding it aren't so you like annoying. youtube no one's clicking it because you're hiding it it's yeah. like it's, it's like it's like they, they it's like they take your pet cat and put it in the cupboard and go well i don't know where your pet cat is exactly <laughs> no one's no, seen your exactly cat in a while it. i'm glad that i have like fins like patreon and twitch like that's so important and i uh, plus other other wee fins i do as well on the side because i the way youtube is it's so volatile i'd i'd hate to think that i was purely relying on that for everything like for getting out to people for people who are setting up channels starting out on their own journeys is there any advice that you can give them um yep yeah, sure um don't be afraid to experiment especially not when you're starting like try and try out as much stuff as you can see what fits you don't don't immediately think like you've got to stick to one thing and that's you know what you do forever because especially when you're starting out, because YouTube can take ages to like really grow. Like it can take a long time. You do have to be patient, unfortunately. Um, so experiment a lot. Try and find something and find something that you love. You know, you've got to love it. You can't just, you know, go in and start doing something just for the cash or the attempt at getting cash and not be passionate about it. You have to love it no matter what. Because if you don't, YouTube is hard and it can well, it can be difficult and it and it and it's very unrewarding when you're starting a lot of time. You'll you'll release videos and they'll get like 10 views and you'll think, oh well that was worth it. And but you just so you've got whatever you do, whatever you find that you want to do on YouTube or social media in general, if you love it and you have fun with it, that's going to be the best, most important first step. Amazing. Thank you for that. Um, we are coming to the end of our chat today. We've got one more match for your DVD. What would you like your third and final match to be, Kim? Okay. Yeah, um, my third match is going to be one from uh, Noah. Uh, Kenta Kabashi versus Mitsuharu Misawa from 2003. <laughs> Daigo 
やっぱ昔の会社からずっと引きずってるファンが今日来てると思うんだけど、はい、そのファンをいい意味で裏切ってほしいプラスアルファのものということですねそうそうそう俺はもうそれはそうかわしたみさまかわした巻き上げていったこぼしレッドシナーズからまずは立ち上がり王者三沢そして挑戦者こぼし So, this one, I think, is this, this one in particular because it is it's basically the final part. It's the final part of their rivalry. And the thing with、um, pro res rivalries, especially in、uh, that style, the Kings of the World Road, whatever you want to call it, those rivalries go on for years. Like Kabashi and Misawa were contemporaries, like, basically. And the thing was, as far as a title match goes, Like Kabashi had pinned Misawa before in tag bouts in the tournaments, Champions Carnival and what have you. Never beaten Misawa for the title, for like the big heavyweight championship over the course of over a decade.、Um, so for Kabashi to finally get that win in, again, an epic match, I mean, probably the most famous part of that match is when、um, Misawa hits the Tiger suplex off the ramp. Like、that's kind of the level of spots they're at. It's the culmination of all that. And that win is so satisfying. It's like Kabashi finally getting his big reign that he deserves. That's been, he's not ha- been able to have due to even Misawa always being on top or through injury a lot of the time. As you mentioned there, like the, 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 the Tiger suplex off the ramp in that bit. And a lot of those, a lot of their big matches have been so contained in the ring. And it's something that in, in a relative, like in the Attitude Era, like a part of the match was Rock would walk up the ramp and suplex you on the ramp. But that was kind of like part of the match in the early days. So, but when it doesn't happen that often, and this is why, this is why stuff they do within like Noah and New Japan is so great because they, they, They haven't burned the audience out on those big moments. So when they happen, they're still really iconic. It is something else. I mean, I think there is a part of it. I mean, there are times where it's kind of a thing where it's gone through like hills and valleys over the years. Like back in like 90s, all Japan. But at the, when you get to like the second half of the decade, you do notice like there's a lot of head drops in all the matches, especially the main event matches. Like they perhaps went a bit overkill with it.、Um, And in Noah, they perhaps tried to cool it down a little bit, but then it means that when you get to a match like Kabashi Misawa, it means a hell of a lot more. Like those spots have such great deal more impact because I mean, it is an incredibly dangerous extreme spot, of course, as is quite a lot of stuff in a match. I mean, it ends with a burning hammer. <laughs> so there's a lot in that match, but it certainly, it certainly means a lot more than it would. If they were just doing that sort of thing every week. Do you still keep up with pro wrestling, Noah?、Uh, Noah, I, I do follow various accounts and try to see what's going on. I, I, know, what keep, I know what keeps like, the company ticking. I'm glad it's still around because obviously it had some, some very rough years as,、um, the whole, with the whole like, downturn in Japanese pro wrestling in general, plus obviously the death of Misawa in 2009.、Um, they've had some very, very lean years. Um, things do seem to be getting a lot better these days, which I'm very happy to see. It's like, I think they, they recently they were able to actually run the、uh, Budokan again for the first time in years, which is an excellent, excellent progress they're making. I mean, they're still was- a distance away, obviously, from the heights of New Japan, but. They're in the right direction. It was also this year, sort of as, as, as Noah is starting to find their feet again after, as you say, a downturn in business and, and the coronavirus and everything.、Uh, they made headlines in February. Keiji Muto became the champion again. Yeah, I'm Muto. The t- yeah. I, he, is,、um, he is seemingly ageless, is、uh, Muto. <laughs> he really is. He's one of, and he's one of those. He's kind of like Jericho. They always reinvent themselves and they always kind of manage to keep themselves relevant somehow. It's like, you, you don't know how you really do it. I mean, especially, you know, I mean, well, I know he doesn't do it as much, but I mean, the moonsault has, like, his knees, I think, must just basically be vapor at this point. <laughs> <laughs> If it hadn't been their match from 2003, would, what would the other Kabashi Masao match have been out of interest? Was there another one that you were contemplating? Oh, yeah, there's definitely there's a couple. They had、um, two matches, especially in 1997, which were. Unbelievable. I mean, obviously, obviously, most people tend to talk about the Kawada, Kawada and Misawa matches 
from that time. And and the thing with Kabashi and Misao is that out of all the combinations of the four pillars as well, they'd actually fought to the least. Because for most because for most of the nineties they were teaming. They had the team. Oh. I mean, so obviously you have like the classics, like you have the match with um in nineteen ninety five, you have like Kabashi and Misawa versus Kawadra and Akira Tawe, which is a match that came very close to being part of this trio. Um so they didn't actually face each other too much. But yeah, nineteen ninety seven they had a couple of incredible matches. I think twenty first of October nineteen ninety seven is the one that definitely sticks in my mind. I was try to remember like which one is the best but they're 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 both brilliant so you should just watch them now if you haven't watch them now but before they do uh they have to check out you if they don't do so already so as we come to the end of our chat today i want to say a massive thank you to kim and tell kim tell everybody where they can find you okay no problem so on youtube i can be found at youtube.com slash kimball justice or just search kim justice um on patreon i can be found on patreon.com slash kimball justice and that's where i release a lot of documentaries about prores about japanese wrestling various subjects kenta kabashi vader steve williams which is my most recent one um i'm on twitch uh twitch.tv slash kim underscore justice and i'm also on twitter I just chat crap on there. Kim XXX Justice. Amazing. Well, look, it's been, honestly, somebody who has been watching your stuff for a while now, I'm genuinely delighted that we got to sit and have a chat uh, about wrestling and other things. So, uh, and who knows, when you sit down to finally do the two and a half hour to three hour deep dive into Post and Pat for the Spectrum, maybe you'll remember our conversation. (laughs) Oh, yeah, it'll definitely stick in the back of my mind. Is like, you know, why did you put this horrible idea into my head? (laughs) Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. For all the wrestling headlines in just 10 minutes, search Cultaholic Wrestling News on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. (laughs) 